Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, why are so many Christians leaving the faith? Apparently, there's only about 63% of Americans claiming to be Christians now. That's that's down more than 10 points over the past decade. And there are high-profile people that are leaving the faith. There are Christian leaders that have said, I'm no longer a Christian. What is this all about and what can we do about it, if anything? And are they leaving the faith, or are they just leaving their faith? That's the question, or the number of questions we're going to deal with today. And my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, many of you know because you follow Dr. Brown and should. In fact, his website, askdrbrown.org, is a place you can go for answers on virtually any topic. He has his Ph.D. in Semitic Languages from NYU. His brand new book, the 43rd book. This guy's quite a slacker, isn't he? He doesn't do much with his life. The 43rd book is out just in a couple of days. It's called Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. And there are tremendous insights in this book. And so you're going to want to avail yourself of it. It's always great having Dr. Brown on the program. Mike, how are you? Doing great. And thanks for having me back. Always, Mike. It's always you're always it's always great to have you on. And it seems like we have uh, you have a new book like every 10 minutes because you're you have so much to say. And you write uh, on stream.org quite a bit and townhall.com. So you're a wealth of great information for Christians that are concerned about the truth. And we all ought to be concerned about the truth. What prompted you to write this? Why so many Christians have left the faith? Yeah, there's a crisis that we're facing. I start mm -hmm. the first chapter by saying, hey, look, look at this person, this person, prominent Christian author, well-known Christian pastor, yep. well-known Christian music leader, Christian seminarian, and all of them say we no longer believe. And we could debate were they truly saved or not. No, that, mm -hmm. That's not even the issue. The issue was to, to all appearances, according to everything we knew, these were brothers, these were sisters, these were leaders. We read their books, we sang their music, we... we we knew them, we followed them in different ways, and now, one after another, they're saying, we don't believe this anymore. And then, uh, the younger generation, Gen Z, is the most unchurched generation in, in our recorded history, so since polling's being done, you know how many are dropping out, you know when you're on the college campuses that, that things you could have assumed in terms of certain biblical worldview foundations, they're just not there. A lot of people dropping out of church, so, the question is why? What's actually going on? Uh, a lot of Christians just say, oh, this is it. This is the end. Jesus said there'll be a final apostasy, and this is the final apostasy. And uh, I, I don't feel that way. I don't think we just throw our hands up and say it's all over. The question is, why are they leaving? Let's understand the different reasons, and then let's do our best to respond to those so that we can help those struggling, help those with questions, as, as well as help equip us to be there to say, hey, no reason for you to struggle. There are answers, there are solutions. 
And you point out right in the opening chapter, I read half the book this morning, Mike, you say uh, about kids today, quote, these kids are hearing that the Bible can't be trusted, that God is a fairy tale, that Christians are hateful, that the church is the reason for the older, or that the church is just for the older generation, that religion is make-believe. In short, it's time we move on from all this, especially if you want to be cool and in. Why are younger people so adamant now against the church has something happened in the past 20 years that allows them to see uh all these memes flying around what's going on yeah so there's kind of a perfect storm we, we can break it mm -hmm. down as i do in the book chapter by chapter but let's start with something that that you confronted years back the rise of the new atheism around mm -hmm. 2006 2007 best-selling books by sam harris and and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and things like that. And, and you and others have summarized the books as saying, there is no God and I hate him. So they, they were bestsellers. Uh, people were reading them. They were, some of them, number one in the religion category, New York Times bestseller list for, for many, many months. But what happened is that a lot of the thinking of these atheists, and it was nothing new. It was just more aggressive, more bombastic. A lot of it trickled its way down to social media. It trickled its way down in, in memes and little quotes and sayings, and it just kind of got in the culture. That, along with the idea that the church is on the wrong side of the culture wars, that the church is mean-spirited and angry and things like that, and suddenly you can't quote the Bible as having authority. My friend Daryl Bach, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, likes to say that in the past we could say it's true because it's in the Bible. Now we have to say it's in the Bible because it's true because the, the foundation has been so eroded. So I'll commonly hear from people. They, they have no idea of history, archeology. span You'll quote scripture, this, that's just a Bronze Age book and some <laughs> Bronze Age misogynistic tribal deity that you follow. Where did they get that from? Have they been researching things? Have they been going through the, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, things like that? Can they even date it? No, but they heard this thing. It trickled down. Another thing that trickled down was the agnostic scholarship of Professor Bart Ehrman and others. So here he is, well-known professor at University of North Carolina. He is a great scholar, textual scholar in terms of knowing the, the Greek text of the New Testament in the background, etc. And he was evangelical over a period of years. He, he became liberal Christian, then became agnostic. It seemed the problem of suffering is what pushed him over. So he, he writes a book some years ago questioning whether we can really rely on what the New Testament says. Did Jesus really say these things? And those in apologetics, those in New Testament scholarship, nothing new here. We have answers to all these things, no new questions. But suddenly, to everyone's shock, his, his included, he told me that firsthand, the book took off and became a national bestseller. And that's what happened with the other books he's written. So suddenly this skepticism, this questioning, can we take the Bible seriously? It's trickled its way down to a general audience. And, and rather than the academics dealing with and having answers, or even kids that are in college, at least they can research and dig. Now kids that are 10 and 12 are hit with this. Josh McDowell has, has told us that the objections he used to run into on college campuses, he now runs into with kids who are 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the same ability to process, to think things through, to gather information. So the catchy meme, the little slogan, the little saying, the big question mark is just kind of in this younger generation as a presupposition. You know, Mike, you also write in the first chapter, or maybe this is the second chapter, 
Um, and I found this to be true. I want to know, you have it in your book, so I assume you, you think it's true as well. You say, as theologian R.C. Sproul, Sproul wrote, the New Testament maintains that unbelief is generated not so much by intellectual causes as by moral and psychological ones. The problem is not that there is insufficient evidence to convince rational beings that there is a God, but that rational beings have a natural hostility to the being of God. Comment on that. Yeah, so let's just say that human beings are heading in one direction by nature. Mm -hmm. There's the old Martin Luther saying that, that a stone, if you pick it up, goes up. If you let it go, it drops. So that's human nature. So our propensity is to want to gratify the flesh. You know, just think in the natural. It's easier to oversleep than to get up early. You have a sweet tooth for, for chocolate, not, not, not a sweet tooth for broccoli or, so, or, or <laughs> apples or something like that. It's mm -hmm. easier to lie than to tell the truth. It's easier to give way to lust than to be disciplined. So human beings just by nature are going in a certain direction and we don't want a God over us. We don't want a ruler over us. We wanna do what we wanna do and we don't want there to be consequences, especially in some kind of world to come. So anything that, that feeds and fuels our fires of hostility towards God, of being able to plausibly deny his existence and plausibly deny the accuracy or authority or relevance of scripture, we're gonna go with that. So all these intellectual things now feed into it. And then when you have an emotional reaction as well, that the Bible is against my friend or Christians are against my friend, now you have yet another reason to reject this book and to reject the author of the book. In fact, I found that uh, people don't want Christianity to be true more than they say, I just don't have enough evidence. And we'll talk more about that after the break. And what about Christianity being against my friends? That has something to do with the uh, sexual practices we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Dr. Michael Brown. Ask drbrown.org back in two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Ladies and gentlemen, this coming week, I'll be in Tucson, Arizona for an apologetics conference. All the details on our website. Then next weekend, March 12th, I'll be at God Speak Church in Thousand Oaks, California with my friend, Pastor Rob McCoy. We'll be doing the morning services. And then in the evening, we'll continue with I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and take questions. So I hope to see you out there. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, Michael has written over 40 books. His latest is Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. comes out March 7th, and uh, it is a wealth of information. It's not just saying, well, look, here's why all these people have left the faith, but where do we go from here? There's some solutions, and maybe we'll touch on those a little bit later in the program. But before the break, uh, Dr. Brown was just talking about the fact that some people don't want Christianity to be true. In fact, I found that many people don't want Christianity to be true. And one of the reasons, Mike, I know they don't want Christianity to be true, because they may personally have sexual preferences that the scripture disagrees with, or they may just know friends that they want to support in their sexual behavior, and the Bible disagrees with that. Comment on that, would you? I have a whole chapter called, If Gay is Good, Christianity is Bad. Mm -hmm. and, and what's happened is there's a whole generation of young people that's grown up in a society now where same-sex, quote, marriage is the law of the land, where 
just about every TV show you put on or what it's just there's going to be a gay couple and they've got a friend or a family member who identifies as gay or they themselves do and it's become so pervasive and they've grown up with this feeling uh, especially Gen Z is strong on on empathy and wanting to stand with the perceived underdog and it, it may be a, a a good intent but often comes out with the wrong result but they feel that they have to protect their trans friend who gets picked on they they have to protect their gay brother who gets picked on. And they've grown up with this deep sense of solidarity. Frank, I, I had something remarkable happen to me recently. I was teaching probably about 600 students who were in a school preparing to go on the mission field. So these are on-fire Christians who want to serve at least part-time in the future on the mission field. And I was asked to come in and for three days to teach about the cultural issues and the biblical response, et cetera. And you know I'm going to do it with compassion, with grace. Mm -hmm. In fact, as I was sharing some stories, I, I literally broke down crying because of the pain of what some have been through or, or some of these kids who are trying to detransition now. They had, you know, full mastectomies. They were on hormones. Realized I made a terrible mistake and, and trying to go back and, and all the pain of it. So I spoke with compassion. And yet, when I shared about how far things have gone, I went through this long list of preferred gender pronouns. And most all the students were just laughing out loud. It's so absurd. Well, we found out that there were some students who took offense at this because they felt that the other students were laughing at their friend their brother, their sister. And, and let me tell you how far it went. There was a real satanic song on the Grammys a few weeks ago. Yes, It's called Unholy. So that's the name of the song. Right. The singer, Sam Smith, identifies as non-binary and was wearing a hat with satanic horns. The other singer, Kim Petras, is, identifies as transgender. There, there were drag queens performing in it. There, was, there were flames coming up from the ground. It could not have been more satanic if it tried, and it tried very hard. There's a, a woman named Becca Shea, Messianic gospel artist, and she did this incredible version of Unholy. What would it sound like if it was written by a Christian? And it was a call to holiness and a warning that hell is hot. I mean, it's brilliantly done. So I played it for the students, knowing how much they'd appreciate it. Of course, they loved it. I found out later that there was one student, she talked to her leader who then talked to me, one student who was offended because she felt like it was an attack on Sam Smith and all her life she grew up feeling she had to defend trans people. Frank, this is a sympathy with something that was actually blatantly satanic versus mm. a Christian song that didn't even mention Sam Smith. That's how deep it goes. My generation, baby boomers, you're, you're close to that. Less than 3% of our generation today identifies as someone on the LGBTQ scale. According to Gallup in 2021, 21% of Gen Zs identifies on that scale. According to Barna, 40%. So there is this whole perception of standing with the gay, lesbian, trans community, and the Bible is against it. The Bible is mm. mean. The Bible is homophobic, and God is homophobic. And that's the gut level reaction. No, I won't listen to your gospel because you hate gays and I'm gay. That's how deep it is. Which is what you just said there uh, about uh, baby boomers and the present generation, 3% to 20 or 40% is another reason why the whole born that way, uh, born that way argument can't be true <laughs> because if you were born that way, it would seem to be consistent. No, this is more encouraged by social media and the culture. 
And as you point out in the book as well, Mike, although say, let's just say you get different numbers, but Gen Z says, say, Gen Z born between 1997 and 2003, 20% or so identify with LGBTQ, but far fewer than that actually engage in the behavior. Exactly. Right? It's, it's just, I identify even though I'm not doing it, correct? Yeah, you identify, especially by, that's the big thing to identify uh-huh. kind of like safe ground there. Yeah. So it's solidarity. The percentage of those actively engaging in same-sex activity or exclusive same-sex mm-hmm. activity remains as small as it's ever remained. So it's the sense of ide- identity and solidarity. Mm-hmm. Two questions. What did you say to that girl that felt she had to defend a, someone who claimed to be trans, even though that person was blatantly advocating Satanism? What did you say to her? How, and how did right, she so respond? I, I didn't speak with her directly. Okay. I spoke with someone else who said uh-huh. to me, look, I was lesbian. And, and I love you, I honor you, I respect you, I'm not lesbian anymore. She said, but it's because of people like you, I left the church in the first place. That's what uh-huh. she said to me before uh-huh. a class one day. And uh-huh. I said to her, listen, did I speak with compassion? Yes. Did, did I speak with tears? Yes. Was what I said biblical? Yes. And I said, uh-huh. the same God who called me to reach out to the gay trans community with compassion is the same God who called me to warn against the agenda with courage. And Mm -hmm. I must do that because millions of lives are being destroyed. Mm -hmm. So your compassion is commendable, your viewpoint is commendable, but you've been blinded. And I said, you just have to trust me here. I am watching a whole generation be destroyed. We've been warning for years. So the challenge for me now just like when you're on the campuses and you say, okay, there's a stronghold here. How can I get people? So I'm really going to try to start when, when I present to a younger generation in particular, to start even more with the solidarity, to start with how you feel and say, hey, look, I know you feel like this, but, but look at the results. Look at what God intended. Look at his plan. Look at the beauty of that. And now look at the distortion. Look at the destruction. Look at the trajectory to help wake them mm. up to spiritual reality. Yeah, there's a difference between true compassion and false compassion. False compassion is just identifying with somebody because you want to support them, even though you're supporting them going down a road that's going to hurt them. True compassion is, I love you so much, I'm going to stand in the way of evil. As Paul says, love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always perseveres. Love doesn't approve, ladies and gentlemen. And Dr. Michael Brown and I have had a little debate uh, with a couple of LGBTQ activists on that about three or four years ago, Mike, at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. And I think people can find that on the internet. Uh, I think the title of it was something, Does Love Require Affirmation? And you remember we had an exchange with these people, uh, and uh, they were trying to say, oh, yeah, if you love me, you have to approve of what I do. And we, of course, were saying, no, we don't. You don't, you don't have to approve of what we do to love us. In fact, at one point, we even asked the other side that, uh, do you agree with our position or do you love us? And they said, yes. And I, then we said, do you agree with our position? And they said, no. And we both said, you just lost the debate. That's the whole, <laughs> we're saying you can love people and not agree with what they do. In fact, if you do love them, you won't agree with everything that they want to do if it's evil, obviously. So let me ask you another question. The title of the chapter, and again, the book is called Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith by Dr. Michael Brown, my guest today, askdrbrown.org. Um, the title is, uh, if gay is good, the church is bad. Have you ever seen anyone from 
the LGBT community, LGBTQ plus community, as you put it, um, define what their standard is for good. Yeah, it really doesn't get there normally because it's just based on the emotional idea right. you have to be nice to people. And you're not being nice to me. You hurt my feelings. Therefore, that's something bad. Jesus, uh, you know the nice. the famous line that <laughs> that the God of the younger generation is basically a you know moral therapeutic deistic mm-hmm. being, and and the gospel is just being nice to people. So obviously, you want to be nice to people, but like you say, nice doesn't mean affirmation or agreement. Mm-hmm. No, Jesus was. I, we have to write a book. Jesus wasn't nice, Mike, because there's so many times he wasn't. In order to to wake people up and to tell them you're going down the wrong road, he wasn't nice to the Pharisees, certainly. Uh, he 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 wasn't nice to the people in the temple when he overturned the tables. Uh, he he wasn't nice to people who were teaching false doctrine, and that's because you have to call sin out when you see it in order protect in order to protect people. So, Mike, what do you recommend uh, if you know people who are well-meaning and they're Christians? Yet they, they're kind of torn. They know what the Bible says about LGBTQ practice, but they want to support their friends who identify that way. What, what do you recommend they do or say? Right, so by all means, ask God for his full heart of love. We, we all should. Mm-hmm. Now we start there, asking for a baptism of love for those who identify as different than us. So we affirm having that real heart of love. But then we go back to, look, look at our beautiful creator. Look at his wisdom. Look at how he made us. Look at how he put us together. Look at his intent. Look at the beauty of a man and woman coming together and children and reproduction and all of that. And now look at where this agenda leads. Look at, once you deviate from that, look at where, look at drag queens shaking their hips as they read for toddlers in schools. Look at 13-year-old girls who've had full mastectomies because they were confused about their gender identity. Look, look at the persecution of Christians. Look at where things go. Look at the trajectory. And when you do, you say, no, I, I didn't sign up for that. You know, I sat on a Tyra Banks show probably 13 years ago, the first time ever on, on national TV. They brought out little kids. Oh, this is Johnny. Johnny used to be Jane. Now Johnny is a, a, a girl or now Johnny is a boy. And, and I said on the panel, you're experimenting with children. You're experimenting mm. with children. I sat next to Dr. Marcy Bowers, who became super famous doing the sex change surgery for that poor teen kid, Jazz, who was the most influential teen in America, according to some. And, and now Dr. Bowers has been forced to say, we shouldn't have done this with children. We made mm. a mistake. Mm. Dr. Bowers said, sometimes you zig and then zag. Well, we, we went a little too far. A little too far. It's a little too late to admit that. Look at the damage. Look at where it goes. Love stands in the way and says, turn back. We're talking to Dr. Michael Brown, why so many Christians have left the faith. We have a lot more with Dr. Brown. Don't go anywhere. And check out his website, AskDrBrown.org, and his radio program called Line of Fire. Look for Line of Fire. Back in two minutes. Why have so many Christians left the faith, ladies and gentlemen? And by the way, what is the faith? Have they left the faith or just their faith? Did they even know what Christianity really was? What is the faith? Well, actually, I'll be teaching a course on that called Life's Compass, Jesus, You, and the Essentials of the Faith. It starts later in March. 
But if you go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, there's an early bird discount. It ends March 5th, the early bird discount, that is. Uh, but we're going to cover a lot of great uh, subjects in this. What is the Bible all about? How do faith and works relate? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Who is Jesus? What are the essentials of salvation? How do faith and reason relate? I already mentioned oh, that's faith and works, faith and reason. What is God like? Why is the resurrection so important? What is faith and why does God want it? So many others. We're going to do six live Zoom Q&A sessions if you're part of the premium course. It starts, I think, I think it starts March 27th, but if you want to get the early bird discount, go before March 5th, put the code in there. If you go to the website, you'll see the code. Uh, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you will see it there. Let me go back to my guest, Dr. Michael Brown. Mike, it is difficult for some people to stay in the faith when you see high-profile leaders walk away, and you have a chapter in here in the new book, Can Christian Leaders Be Trusted? Let's just start with Ravi Zacharias because, you know, we're apologists here and people don't want to talk about Ravi Zacharias anymore because obviously he engaged in immoral sexual behavior uh, and people try and sweep that under the rug. Should that shake our faith? Uh, it will shake many people's faith. It mm -hmm. shouldn't, but mm -hmm. it's understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not to throw stones at, at our brother that's not here now, but look, the reality is if, if you or I or Ravi or someone else, an apologist, God used us in an instrumental way to, mm -hmm. to bring someone to the Lord, right? So it's the Lord who saves, it's the Lord who does it all. We can't save a fly. But Frank, I heard you speak and, and it was so brilliant. And then I went to your website and you had all the answers, right? Well, that's influence. I've been a leader in Messianic Jewish apologetics. What if I suddenly, so I question everything I believe. So we're human beings. And one mm -hmm. of the things about someone like Ravi, he was, he was a great example. He seemed to be a great statesman. So suddenly someone like that falls, and then it's across the board. Uh, the charismatic scandals, you know, this seemed to be a dime a dozen in our circles. I said, you know, as a charismatic myself, a failed Trump prophecies, that puts egg on our face. The scandal with Jerry Falwell, the scandal with Carl Lentz. Again, I don't say this to, to throw stones. And historic mm -hmm. scandals with the Catholic Church, I, I referenced a study where France recently released, the, the Catholic Church of France recently released their own records, their own documents saying from the 1950s until now, we have documented over 330,000 examples of sexual abuse. It could mm -hmm. be a priest with someone, someone else in clergy, nun, etc. I mean, it's mind boggling. So it's very natural to say, ah, they're all corrupt. None of them can be trusted. None of it is real. I, I thought these people were liable because, look, to be leaders, we are called to live by a certain standard. The New Testament is clear on that. We are ambassadors for Jesus, and we can make him look bad. I'll mention something really tiny. A few years back, during the Trump presidency, I was invited with some Southern Baptist leaders to visit the White House and to meet with certain folks, not with Trump, but to meet, have some discussions, raise some concerns. And they said, hey, you can get a special rate at, at the Trump Hotel there. Well, even though Donald Trump does not actually know what is in every single room in that hotel, I remember thinking, wow, his name is associated with this, so they really do it up nicely. And if the thing was run down, even just a hotel, it would make you feel, hey, what's with Trump? He's not on mm -hmm. top of things. So if we can do that, just it's psychological, it's natural. How much more when our hero turns out to be duplicitous? What can... 
or did they know about were they just in this for money and and i supp- i thought jesus changed us morally so it's only fair and understandable that people are going to be hurt especially if they're not believers yet they're not even going to want to hear the message like oh you're one of those guys so it, it's a real obstacle to overcome it is and i did a whole podcast on this in february when it came out i want to say it was 2021 I actually think when things like a fall such as Ravi happens, it actually gives more evidence that God does exist because none of that would be wrong unless God existed, Mm. right? What he did would not be immoral unless there's a standard of morality. I love what John Dixon says. I don't know if you know John Dixon. He wrote the book uh, Bullies and Saints. Yeah, And I think think he's at Wheaton. He has a great analogy where he says when somebody, kind of a, a thought experiment. He says, when somebody plays Beethoven poorly, who do you blame? Mm. You don't blame Beethoven, okay? And so when someone plays Jesus poorly, you don't blame Jesus. You blame the player. And all of us are fallen. All of us have done wrong. All of us are evil. That's why we need a savior. And so if we were all perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. And when we do fall, we should repent and realize that his sacrifice covers our sin. It does, as you say, though, Dr. Brown, it does lead people to say, well, is everybody corrupt in the church? And you point out that, and it just makes common sense, when are you going to hear, what are you going to hear in the media about Christians? You're never going to hear about all the good they're doing, right? All you're going to hear is two things, I think. When a prominent Christian falls or how they vote. Those are the two things you're going to hear about. Or, with or if to they don't believe in hell anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, or they've left the faith, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what you're going to hear about. You're never going to hear, and you have in the book, and again, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith by Dr. Michael Brown. You have in here that for every one Christian leader that has fallen, there's got to be hundreds that haven't, right? But you're never going to hear about them, are you? Yeah, look, I, I've, I've worked with people side by side for decades. Some, some key team members in our ministry, we've known now, this year makes 40 years that we've mm-hmm. known them, faithful, godly people. All, all the couples that have been part of my leadership team and our expanded ministry, solid, godly couples, no scandals among them, and people I've traveled with, people that I know well. I've worked with fine pastors all around America and in many, many different nations. I've been outside the U.S. about 200 times. Fine, godly people. No scandal associated with them in all the decades. No financial scandal, no sexual scandal, not even an accusation of it. And and your average pastor is not getting rich on the faith. They're, Mm -hmm. they're in fact, overworked in many cases. And and in, in the great majority of cases, you'll sit down, they've got good marriages, when you meet the kids, so many of the kids are godly kids and have been raised in a good environment. And, and when it comes to Roman Catholicism, neither of us are Catholic, you do have to raise the question of whether the, the enforced celibacy policy opens the door for all kinds of sexual abuse. You'll have heterosexual men who obviously want an outlet, need an outlet. They don't have the same gift and grace that Paul did. And, and therefore, it's almost an accident waiting to happen, especially with confession. You add in people coming and confessing every kind of lurid thing that they've done. And then you have the men that, hey, I have no interest in marrying because they're gay. And and this has been a historic problem. So there's an open door now for kind of a gay subculture 
which has been exposed and, and talked about. So yes, I'm sure there are devoted Catholic priests who are celibate and, and devoted nuns who are celibate and are really seeking to live in discipline. But this is an accident waiting to happen because mm-hmm. it's, it's unnatural and it's a requirement that Paul actually speaks against as a, as a last day's deception forbidding people to marry. Mm. Yeah, and uh, that has led, at least it's, it's not a cause, but it's a condition that leads uh, to uh, a, a sex scandal or these numerous sex scandals, as you pointed out. And it's interesting that the French church would, would uh, actually publish that, but that's good for them to admit what's been going on. And I know there's, there's always been talk, uh, is the Roman Catholic Church going to lift the rule of celibacy for their priests? It's interesting, if you're, say, uh, a, a man that has been married or is married, and you decide to become a Roman Catholic priest, you can, main, you can stay in your marriage. Uh, and so they, it's not a hard and fast rule, right? It's only if you go in as a uh, single person then you uh, you have to stay single. So, and you you write about that in the book. I want to go back to Robbie for a second because you say in the book again. The book is called "Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith." Think about it for a moment. You say, Doctor Brown, it was tragic to hear about the fallings or the failings of one of the world's best known Christian apologists. But he had a whole network of coworkers. How many of them were indicted with similar charges? None to my knowledge. It is true that they had. I don't know how many speakers Robbie had. Forty. Maybe up, maybe up to a hundred at the time, and nobody in that organization has been brought up on similar charges. Uh, but what has happened, and this is what happens with sin: sin blows everything up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember being overseas and, and running into people from his ministry, mm-hmm. and the old days was if they said, "Oh, we're with his ministry," that was like gold. Good. Yeah, right. That means you're solid. That means uh-huh. you're, you're educated in these things. That means you're, you're on the front lines, et cetera. That's right. Now the same people, and they, they have to use a different name for the ministry because it brings reproach. And, and again, as you say, it does prove the gospel. Mm-hmm. Once you can establish, hey, the great majority of Christian leaders are not doing this. The great majority of, of Christians that you're going to meet that are sincere people, they're not, they're not living like this. Once you can start to rebuild trust on a personal level, then you can say, but look, doesn't the Bible say that we're, we're, we're corrupt in our nature? Doesn't the Bible say that we're capable of doing things very ugly? Doesn't the Bible say that when we judge others, we end up guilty of doing the same things? So it does level us all out in need of a Savior. And that can be a way to help someone recognize their own sin. You're throwing stones, but what about your life? And then they come to Jesus, all right, I, I need help. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Mike, you've been a Christian leader for over 40 years. Give uh, some advice to our listeners with about a minute to go before the break, how they should comport themselves to stay pure. You have to live as if you could be next. I don't mean in fear like, oh no, oh no, but just like a recovering alcoholic stays away from liquor, you, you flee from the things that could be destructive. You don't give them an open door. Jesus didn't say cut back the things that are destructive, but cut them off. When you separate yourself from them, when you, when you don't even open the door, when you live by certain ethical principles that keep you away from the temptation and the possibility, it's, it's, it's a safe place. And you're not going to stand before God on that day and he'll say, oh, you were a little too extreme. You're a little too careful. No, I, I'd rather hear that than mm-hmm. hear God say, you fool, you blew it all. 
So you put up certain parameters, walls, you make yourself accountable, you live with openness and honesty, and you trust yourself to God's keeping power, and none of us have to be scandal-ridden in our own lives. Yeah, we try in our ministry to live by the Modesto Manifesto that came out of the Billy Graham organization. And for those of you that don't know what that is, I'm running out of time here. You can just Google Modesto Manifesto. But uh, someone who has lived the Modesto Manifesto and and has taken a lot of heat for it prominently has been Mike Pence, the former vice president. He would not be in the presence of another woman, not his wife alone, just to avoid any possible temptation or even appearance of impropriety. That's a good way to live, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Frank Turk. A lot more with Dr. Brown right after this. Why have so many Christians left the faith? What can we do about it right after the break? You're back listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which is not only a radio program, it's a podcast. And we have a midweek podcast. And in the midweek podcast this week, We're going to have Dr. Brown back on because we're going to talk about the political seduction of the church. That's another book uh, Mike has written we haven't had time to talk about. Uh, Has the church gone too far politically or not far enough? And we're going to talk about it in the next podcast. That's midweek this week on Tuesday. It'll come out. Those of you who just listen to this on the radio, this will not be broadcast on the radio. You've got to go to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast and listen to it there. Now, Mike, just before the break, we were talking about the Modesto Manifesto and Vice President Pence has taken heat for that. You wanted to make another comment on that. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, after the Harvey Weinstein scandal and and other related scandals in, in Hollywood mm-hmm. and among famous actors, etc., who had been sexually abusive, I asked a question. I said, you know, a lot of you had issue with the way Mike Pence lives and the standard that he lives by the so-called Billy Graham rule. I said, dads, who would you rather have your daughter work for, Mike Pence or Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> you know, people can criticize, but when the rubber meets the road, let's, let's go with the Billy Graham rule. <laughs> That's right. Now, Mike, in the book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith, um, there is a question as to whether they've left the faith or just their own faith. And you point out that there are at least five different gospels, so to speak, out there. And Paul said, if anyone preaches another gospel to you, let him be a curse. So these are other gospels. These aren't the true gospels. I'm just going to call them out. And and if you can just uh, give a word or two about each one of them, what's wrong with them? People have to get the book to go further. Let's talk about the health and wealth gospel. What's the problem with that? So Jesus died to make you successful. Jesus died Hmm. so that you could prosper. Mm. The blessing of the gospel is financial riches. And basically, the gospel is what's in it for me. Jesus dies to make me into a bigger and better me. So now when the real test comes for the gospel, when you're called to take up the cross, deny yourself, who wants this? Because you just were (laughs) in it for what's in it for you. So that's been a deceptive message preached for decades that's borne terrible fruit. That's right. And yeah, if if you're not healthy and wealthy, you don't have enough faith. Well, don't tell me Jesus and the apostles weren't healthy and wealthy. They had plenty of faith and they died as martyrs. The next kind of gospel you have here is called the pep talk gospel in which the preacher sounds more like a life coach here to fulfill you with positivity, good feelings and success. Go. Yeah, you never hear the gospel with these messages. Uh-huh. You never hear about human sin. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For, for what? Mm. What was mm. he paying for? 
What, what was so bad? What was so terrible? So it's basically this gospel, the, the pastor just comes alongside of you to cheer you up and to encourage you, come on, have a good day and be positive in your attitude towards others. And, and then maybe a reference to Jesus or a scripture thrown in. So you think you're actually hearing the gospel, but there's no gospel in it. There's no saving, transforming message in it. Okay, how about this? Uh, gospel number three, which is another false gospel, the celebrity gospel, which basically says, look, all these famous, cool people believe in Jesus. Don't you want to be cool too? Yeah, so basically the, the pastor has to be cool. The worship team has to look cool. The people in the church have this kind of cool vibe about them. And you have a celebrity or two attending, you become known for that, maybe known for association with celebrities. By all means, let's reach celebrities with the gospel. But following Jesus is, is often the way of humiliation in the eyes of the world. It's often the, the way of rejection and hatred and scorn. It's the way of the, the cross, not the way of the big screen. So God mm. may raise someone up and give them a prominent voice, so be it. But this whole idea that following Jesus is the cool, groovy, hip thing to do, not only does it not save, but it deeply deceives because you may lose everything following Jesus. So you're saying that Paul didn't wear skinny jeans and drink, drink lattes? Is that what you're saying? As far as my <laughs> in-depth study has, has shown, no, he did not. Okay, false gospel number four. The progressive gospel presenting Jesus as an enlightened teacher is now in sync with the world. Yeah, well, we know better. Yeah, in the Bible, they said certain things and prohibited certain sexual behaviors and, and talked about people going to hell. But we know better now. We are more enlightened. And now we, we have progressed. So now that we're reading the Bible through these enlightened eyes, you see every, everything has changed. Everything has gone different now. And, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful new message that somehow, miraculously, ends up in complete harmony with the world. All right. How, how about the, the fifth false gospel? And this is big in our culture today. The social justice gospel, which reduces most topics to an issue of race and justice with Jesus coming to right social wrongs rather than reconcile us to God. Right. So in a nutshell, there is no conviction of my own sin and rebellion against God. Rather, everything is weighed through the lens of race and everything is weighed through where you stand on certain social issues. Of course, the church should be leading the way in standing for justice and true equality that, that comes through the cross and comes through living out, loving our neighbor as ourself. But this is something that gets very fueled by the latest controversy in the culture. Jesus is now a preacher about race. That is basically the subject of the Bible. So the, once again, with all of these, the heart and soul of the gospel, the very thing that confronts us with our sin and saves us and brings us into right relationship with God, that very thing is missing. And all the people who've been influenced by these false gospels, when the testing comes, they're not gonna stand. Last week, ladies and gentlemen, we talked a little bit about the He Gets Us campaign that you saw during the Super Bowl. And uh, my friend Natasha Crane wrote an article pointing out seven reasons why the He Gets Us uh, campaign really doesn't get Jesus. She took a lot of heat for it. So I decided to write a blog on it because I only write blogs when I get annoyed. So I do about two a year. And if you go to our cross-examined website, and it's also on stream.org, the title is He Gets Us But Do We Get Him? The Case for Criticizing False Teachers. And what I say in there is a, a number of reasons that we have to call out false teachers, but I, I wanted to point out that Jesus did not come to make sure we use the right pronouns. 
Jesus came to be a ransom to save us from our sins. That's the primary reason he came. So go to the crossexamine.org blog site and you can see that it's about a 1,500-word article. And also tune in next week because both Natasha Crane and Elisa Childers will be the host of this program because I'm going to be on the road. So they're going to host it. They'll probably talk about this. So check that out. So if you want to go further into these false gospels and learn more about why they're false, you need to get Mike's new book, Dr. Michael Brown, my guest today, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. Now, Mike, we... We don't want to point out just all the negatives here. We want to point out what we can do about young people or even older people that leave the faith. And you have a chapter in the book, Where Do We Go From Here? So, Mike, where do we go from here? All right, so first, in every single chapter, when we lay out the problem, be it atheism, be it gay solidarity, be it questioning whether a good God would send billions of people to hell, whether the Bible is even relevant or trustworthy, in each chapter, I spend a substantial portion of that chapter directly responding and saying, Here's how we understand it. Here's how we respond. Where do we go from here? We have to start with realism. We have to realize how many young people are unchurched. We have to realize what the general perceptions are in the larger society. And then we have to remember God's word is always relevant. The cross is always relevant. And in fact, especially among many young people, they're hurting, they're anxious, they're depressed. They, they, they feel that they're in an uncertain world. The harvest is incredibly ripe if we can really see through spiritual eyes. And what we have to do with patience and compassion is welcome people where they are. Say, yeah, come with your doubts. Come with your questions. In fact, we even have a, an ongoing web resource. We have links in the back of the book to say, hey, you've got questions here. We've got, of course, your website, up the cross-examine website. You've got questions about this. You've got questions about this. You've got issues here. Here are safe places where you can go. Here's where you can get information. Here's a free website. Here's a book to read. So let's get equipped and let's welcome people. Let's say, hey, it's fine to have your doubts and questions. I even have a whole chapter, can deconstruction be healthy? And saying, if by deconstruction, you mean I'm gonna come with an arrogant attitude to slam the Bible. No, that's unhealthy. But if you mean, can I really trust these things? Is there really a God? Is the Bible trustworthy? Let's take people on that journey of discovery, bring them into an awareness of their own need for God, but then have solid answers intellectually, emotionally, spiritually to help people get grounded because you and I know that grounded in God's word, nothing can move us. We will withstand any storm that's why people around the world will die for Jesus rather than deny him. They are that sure. We can be just as sure and stand our ground. Scripture says the righteous shall never be shaken. So we know the foundation stands sure. God's word is not going anywhere. There's a reason it remains the most popular book worldwide to this moment and will only grow in, in popularity in the years ahead. Yeah, God's word can never be shaken. That's why Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane and myself are participating together in a uh, conference called Unshaken. The next time we're doing it is out at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in early May. Check out unshakenconference.com for more. Uh, Mike, it's it's really tragic that when we see people, and I remember when Marty Sampson left the faith, apparently, and you have it in your book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith, that he brought up all these objections as if nobody has ever heard of these objections before and nobody's ever addressed them. I mean, you know, if God, why evil? Why hell? All these questions that people have been discussing and writing about for centuries, it seems like these people don't even know that these answers are out there. Is Does that say something about our Christian education? 
Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, many people don't even know what the word apologetics mean. Right. They don't see the need for apologetics. They don't recognize the need for real disciple-making, you know, real godly catechizing of, of our kids. It's a tradition that, that, that is so far away from so many of us. But I remember when Marty's article came out, so I wrote an article asking some honest questions and responding honestly. And John Cooper, who's become a friend, the, the yeah. lead singer of the rock band Skillet, in fact, their music introduces my show every day. We become buddies. Uh -huh. That's when I first heard of them because he wrote this really strong article saying the church has been wrestling with these things for centuries and centuries <laughs> and right. centuries and centuries. So uh -huh. I'm not faulting someone who doesn't know that the discussion has been taking place and that there are answers. I'm simply saying there's no excuse now for not knowing. The information is out there. That's it's, right. And especially just as ungodly beliefs have circulated and been disseminated, just as false ideologies have been disseminated through the internet, the truth is being disseminated. It's out there. That's right. And there's a lot of truth in why so many Christians have left the faith. The brand new book by Dr. Michael Brown, my guest. Check him out. Check out the book. And check out the next midweek podcast because he'll be on with me. And go to his website, AskDrBrown.org. All right, folks, we'll see you here next week. God bless.